The following podcast may contain topics not suitable for a younger audience. Due to the nature of our shows, we also cannot guarantee spoiler-free discussions about anything, so keep that in mind. Borderline podcasts are uploaded almost every week, and you can keep up to date with our podcasts and panels by following us on social media at facebook.com slash borderlinepanels, or on Twitter at B-O-R-D-E-R-P-A-N. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to another exciting episode of Borderline Podcasts from Borderline Panels. I am Austin, the host, as per usual, and with me I've got Sully. Hi. And John. Hello. And another super special guest uh, that we've got here on the podcast, uh, filmmaker Luke Palmer, uh, responsible for the ongoing web series, To Kawaii for Comfort. How's it going, Luke? Oh, man, it is going. Thank you so much for asking me on board. Yeah, man. Um, we've uh, all watched your show and we've all enjoyed it to a degree <laughs> in uh, in which was, enjoyment can be gained. <laughs> I was going to wonder if I should introduce myself or apologize. but <laughs> You know, a mixture of both would probably be appropriate. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, that... Um, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> go, go ahead. Yeah, that was, that was actually our first question. So if you could just give... Uh, little bit more uh you know introduction to yourself and just let our audience cool. know who you are and what oh. you do my name is luke um i'm sort of um a figurehead of this filmmaking collective called rhino stew um which is based out here in glorious sunny california where i'm calling all of you guys from and me and my friend and partner in crime john bickerstaff uh have been working for a few years on this series called Two Kawaii for Comfort, which can best be described um, if Eugene O'Neill wrote a hour-long web series about an anime convention. We, we can't <laughs> pitch the show to, we don't know how to pitch the show to people. That was actually one of my questions, like, we can get into that later on, but yeah, yeah. go ahead and continue, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically sort of a very, very bleak series. I think it's the way to, about a trip to an anime convention that goes horribly, horribly wrong and then worse. Mm. You know, you know, just a just a weekend in the life, honestly. It's really, like that's the thing. It's like when I keep telling people, I'm like, actually, when we had actors audition and read it for the first time, um, they were I was just they were reading. I'm like, don't don't be a character, just be yourself and they're like wait so this is just like a slice of life but about these people and i'm like yeah that's that's pretty much what we're doing is that this is at its heart it's a slice of life story and i go oh, okay um gotcha gotcha um so a little bit more about like your personal background so uh i assume that you've probably been like an anime fan for a long time have been in the community for a while so how did you get into anime what is that story like for you if you wanted to trace the roots way 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 back um, growing up, I always loved, I'll, I'll do a quick timeline, I guess, because you can yeah, always argue when this happened and this happened. Um, growing up, I always loved cartoons, and I remember when my dad took me to see Princess Mononoke for the first time. 
back when it was still in theaters. And that was sort of like the big way. Because I never seen, because, you know, before that I was watching stuff on Nickelodeon, stuff on Cartoon Network. And that was the first thing where, like, it terrified me. Because that was, I've never seen violence like that. Mm-hmm. But cartoon violence. And I'd never been so, like, simultaneously scared and wanting to know what the hell's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point after that, came the holy grail moment where me and my friend Jacob got to hang out and stay up past our bedtime um, for the first time in like, I think it was seventh grade. And we turned on to a little network called Cartoon Network (laughs) um, to witness a show that would change our lives forever um, about a girl and a boy. (laughs) (laughs) Who was a demon, and a show that I'm very scared to say by name, but was saved wait by no time. no let, let me guess let, let me guess this is <laughs> one lucky guess. Mm, by girl demon, this is Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> no, I wish I, I was not. I didn't discover Cowboy Bebop until late high school. In middle school, I was nowhere near any of the cool anime. Uh, same dude, same sad. We have the same sad story on that one. <laughs> oh man, and um. Like, and it's weird after that. So, I was a fashion fan, like, diehard, drew constantly. Inu, you know, I started buying all the volumes. Inuyasha was my everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I wasn't even really a DBZ kid, I was an Inuyasha kid. Um, mm, okay. And going through that phase, and I remember the, f- and the- sometime after Spirited Away, we got the thing, we saw an ad in the newspaper that there was a con going on at the Four Seasons. And I was like, oh, I've read Mega Tokyo. I've always wanted to go to an anime <laughs> con. And that's, that was your first mistake then? I know, <laughs> I know, man. You can't, can we just say this? You can't make mistakes in middle school. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, ha- you should have a grace period of at least... A lifetime after no. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to go to Anime Boston. We went the first day we went. This is actually interesting looking back. Um, the first day that I went, um, it was after registration was closed, but they just let me into the con anyway. Oh, okay. Oh, sweet. Had to go around to some of the rooms and like, and it was you know just one floor of a hotel. This was way early Anime Boston. You said um, this was shortly after Spirited Away, so this yeah. was like 2003, 2004, or something like that? I guess, yeah, 2004 sounds about right. Okay. Um, so, and I was like, oh, I've, you know, I'd never seen anything like it, and I saw my first webcomic panel there, um, and I saw the OVA that would also kind of shape my life, which I don't know how it got popular again, but that was when I saw the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OVA. For the first oh, wow. Time. Yeah. Which, like, so what happened with JoJo? Did they make it another OVA, or is it just big again? So, basically, the OVAs were sort of generally accepted as being not a very competent adaptation of the manga. That's so, funny. they were just kind of like, we're, we're going to bury those in the sands of time and sort of start over again and actually do the series justice. And that's, that's the version that has become popular. Got it. Cool, cool, man. That makes mm-hmm. sense. I still, I know it's weird. I still haven't checked it out. I should check it out at some point. Yeah, I mean, if you like those original OVAs, you'll probably like this one uh, just as much, if not more. So shout out to JoJo. Shout out to JoJo, man. Um, 
then after that, uh, we tried to go back the next day, but they sold out. Um, and so that was my first taste of con tragedy right there. Oh. I was, I was bawling because I was like finally so happy to go to this freaking convention and then I couldn't even get in the next day. Um, which actually I have a very sad, I'll get into it later on. I have a very sad reason why we were late and didn't make it to registration on time. Oh no. I'll let you know that later on. Um, so I ended up though, that's at some point where I heard about Kineticon, which is the big convention that happens in Connecticut. And I went to the mm-hmm. second Kineticon and it's been going on since. And I LARPed and I saw the panel, like I conned hard. And I went to Kineticon pretty regularly for about six years, mm-hmm. I think. Six or seven years in a row. And Kineticon was my main con. So, uh, yeah. You know, and I guess in between that, I still watched all the animes, watched the Adult Swim, um, read subs, and kind of in college when I started you know, getting more involved in theater and film was more when my weavedom kind of slowly decayed. Mm, mm. Um, if that's a fair thing to say. But you you can still, like, you know, there's still a lot of work that I absolutely love and respect from the medium. And some that I still think is, like, in my opinion, Paranoia Agent is one of the greatest television shows of all time, like, ever mm. created. With one of the most fantastic and unique openings of anime ever. It's brilliant, man. Um, and the whole music score about it, I don't understand why it doesn't get acknowledged the way that certain American shows do or why there weren't awards presented to that. Because in my opinion, especially now, and if you look at what's happening with today's environment, I feel like the message of that show is more important and potent than ever. Definitely. Um, and um, I think one of the one of the big tragedies about that particular show is that it's had such a horrible run in the West of actually being available for people to watch. It's impossible. You have to you can't get the DVDs. It's not on Netflix anywhere. I keep yeah. telling people you need to see Paranoia Agent and they have no way to. Yeah, it's it's not even licensed. Like the the closest thing you can do is import the DVD from like the UK. And, you know, most most I mean, I I have done that, but you know, like, <laughs> most most people are just not that neck deep and are just not that invested. And I, I really can't blame them for that. But yeah, I mean that's that's one of those shows that's just like in the pantheon of of shows that are just so hard to get a hold of, but definitely need to be. It's just a shame because it, it's 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 hard to get, and it's you know stuff that good should be readily available. Like there should be a Criterion Collection release of that show, and it bums me out. Oh my gosh, yeah. Imagine a Criterion Collection, but of anime. They should, man. They do. They released Tekonkrete. Um, they did. They did release Tekonkrete. I believe. Tekonkrete. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They released that. Um, so I don't see why they shouldn't release Paranoia Agent. And uh, way, way back in the day, Criterion did a laser disc of Akira. Yeah. And then. To everyone's surprise, mostly mine and Soli's probably. Yeah. <laughs> Criterion's not really dabbled too much in anime, even though they totally should. Even though yeah. they have a very extensive and beautifully done Japanese film collection. Yeah, all those Kurosawa movies are amazing. Yeah, the uh, Ozu flicks. And um, mm-hmm. have you guys seen Harakiri? No, I haven't gotten around to that one, but that um, one's badass. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've heard of it. I know of it, but I just so haven't gotten around. To My latest obsession from Criterion is uh, Face of Another, which mm-hmm. is a Japanese sort of like 
existential science fiction film about someone who loses his face and decides <laughs> the new face he's going to get is going to become his entirely like new identity and he leaves his wife and changes jobs to completely become a new person oh wow didn't and it, it broke me as a person didn't Nicolas cage and john travolta do a movie like i that? hate you <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually. I wish I had. I wish I had a bottle with me. Every time we say the words "I hate you" or "I hate myself," I will feel. That was. That's probably very appropriate, especially for this particular subject matter of this podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah. Did you did you have any uh, any conclusion to your uh, your? Uh, I mean, that was sort of it. Um, <laughs> It was actually I was in a I was in a shadow cast with a bunch of people who I met at Kineticon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I was in a repo shadow cast. For a hot <laughs> What's that? What'd you say? I said I was in a repo shadow cast for a hot minute. Oh, okay. cool. And, um, that was sort of my last taste of con culture was hanging out with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and in between then and then, you know, I've gone to some cons occasionally or a little bit. I think I went to PAX. I actually went to Anime Expo, which was insane. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you about that a little bit later on. The unique experience. Well, it's a unique experience when, like, nobody, when the, <laughs> it was really surreal, because, like, hey, I didn't realize, like, you don't realize how much people care about anime until you're at Anime Expo. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, my God. Um, but, like, a few people recognized us, which was crazy, considering mm-hmm. we still have, like, in YouTube views and in general web notoriety we still have like no views Mm -hmm. Um, but we've had and like i've worked on projects i've gotten more views but i've never worked on anything that's gotten the level of response that this thing has Um, i think you've definitely tapped into a community that really cares about being a community and i think maybe that's one of the things that's really special about this project um yeah that was sort of our hope and the end i mean we're still you know, I'll get into some of that stuff later. Mm-hmm. But I think the main thing that I wanted to do, and my my kind of mission as a filmmaker, is I wanted to make films for the people that no one is making films for. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And to me, the thing that always struck me was why hasn't anybody... Well, like, I'll go into that, I guess, a bit. Was I remember seeing The Guild in college. And, you know, I was enjoying The Guild. I'm a Guild fan. But yeah, they yeah. had the season where they went to Mega Game Oramicon, and I was watching it, and I was like, wait, nobody has ever... This is a show about a convention. I love conventions. Conventions are literally the one thing I love and live for, except... Wait a second, except that guy's supposed to be acting like an asshole, and that person <laughs> should be having... A... This isn't any... This isn't like what it was... And so I was like, what if I... And I kept kicking around the idea where it's like, what if it was just one day where I made a show about what it was like for me to go to a convention? Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to do something that was like, because I love dark comedies. I loved um, Old Boy and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. That was the big film I saw that kind of opened my eye. And I was like, why hasn't anyone... Oh, and Big Fan by uh, Patton Oswalt. And Mm -hmm. I was um, trying to put together, like, why hasn't anyone done a black comedy about an anime convention? So should um, we expect any uh, old boy style fight scenes coming into Kawaii <laughs> for Comfort? Well, there, there's one shot um, that I definitely borrowed from a Korean director, but no, unfortunately, we, <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if we just had, they, they had, yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Fight scene rumor has been quashed. Oh, sad day. And it's also crazy once you've worked on a film and then you realize when you watch a good film how insane the effort must have been to get something like that right. Um, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. yes, definitely. Also, the weirdest thing is when you when you watch a film, you never make look at films the same way again. Because the first thing that you're wondering is how did they get that location? And the second thing is whenever I now see a conversation about people talking about small amounts of money, I keep thinking this part uh, where somebody's talking about $2 costs thousands of dollars to film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kind of breaks it to me. I'm like, why, why, do I need to, why did I need to see this moment? Why was this moment important to try and capture? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, kind of going off that question, like how – this is going to sound like a really broad question, but it kind of ties into what you were saying. But um, like how did this project happen? Like how did you get it off the ground? How did you find your, you know, your crew and your, your writing staff and eventually Wonderful. your actors? Yeah. Um, I, it definitely is an – the project, it germinated from a moment, and then that moment became an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think that a lot of things that I write um, start with a feeling and then turn into um, an idea. And the feeling that I definitely had was it was after Kineticon one day um, and we were all, I was with some people who I didn't know as well. And we all sat down to play a game of Munchkin. Mm. <laughs> and normally I'm like, yeah, Munchkin, we all laugh along. We all, we were playing this game of Munchkin, and it was raining, and nobody else was there. And for some reason, nobody was playing any of their cards. And everyone just kept hoarding cards. And, like, it got so intense so quickly. Um, and at one point in the game, you know, we all just played all of our cards. And, you know, I remember the first time I killed someone in Munchkin, we all went, oh, ha, ha, ha. And this time when I killed him, it was just a... And he dropped his cards on the table, and I'm like, oh, shoot, this is what growing up is like. (laughs) (laughs) When Munchkin gets very existential. And I thought, like, oh, man, this is so great, because, like, we're all trying to have fun, but nobody's having fun right now. Um, Oh. That seems to kind of be, like, the thesis statement in a way. That's the thesis of of the project, is, like, what happens with all these different people who can't run away from their issues at the one place they go to escape it. Um, right. It's, um, it's kind of, <laughs> there's a, there's a very fitting meme that has been floating around lately of like, um, sort of someone being like, Oh, I'm depressed. And then someone tells them, well, why don't you go on a vacation? And then they say, well, then I'll just be depressed on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Tropical depression. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah that, that exact one. Yeah. That one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then after that, that feeling kind of sat with me for a bit. Um, I'm actually a theater kid. That was my background. Um, was, I initially was studying theater. And I took this challenge to write 31 plays in 31 days. And I always had this notion in my back, in the back of my head, about how great would it be if you had some of the most incredibly emotionally... Oh, spoilers, by the way, but you, you've probably seen this show if you're watching this. But um, what if you got some of the most dysfunctional anime fans like the like the like the most hard-boiled um greasy awkward 
all of that stuff, um, have them carpool on the way to an anime convention, and then get into a car crash. Ooh. <laughs> um, and that was the idea that initially kind of stuck with me, was that was the what if. Because I was thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, something about the idea of that stuck with me, because when you're in a car ride, you can't escape. Um, and you can't, you know, in a weird way, I wasn't ever thinking about making it a metaphor. I was just thinking, wouldn't that be the worst situation on the planet? Yeah, like because literally. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, that's about as bad as it gets. Because you go to a spot where you're trying to have fun. And I always find it interesting how like, anim- how conventions are always like billed as these like, places where the, where everything's kind of fantastical and everyone's dressed in costume but we can never really seem to escape the reality of oh wait we're all still just people dressing up and mm. nothing about us changes just the people we're surrounded by um so i've always found that dichotomy really interesting and um so i wrote that the i wrote the car ride scene and the car ride scene was pretty much i wrote it like seven or so years ago at this point maybe not seven maybe i'm being dramatic maybe it's more like six um but i wrote it as a short short play for a short play contest and when my class had a reading of it um we all read it we were all howling um and the thing was like this isn't a play though is it i'm like no it's not a play i don't know what it is um and I realized maybe this isn't a play. Maybe this is a film thing. Maybe mm. this is more like a series. And I began to try and picture what would happen. And then I wrote the uh, scene with the Game Boy in the hospital. And mm. then I had writer's block for three years. Um, may I, like, may yeah. I just say that uh, <laughs> the, the scene with the Game Boy in the hospital uh, yeah. was what you know, in my view, you know, not, not knowing, you know, where the show was going or anything and just kind of expecting it to be, you know, fairly, you know, average yeah. sort of bland entertainment. That's the one, that's the scene that where I watched and I'm just, I, I knew like, there's something really smart here and it's <laughs> very, very dark and very funny. And that, that, that scene in particular, I think out of anything else just made me cackle just because of how clever it was. So props Thank to you, you on so that. much. I, I mean, <laughs> I just remember when I was, like, again, as you probably figured out, all the characters are just a metaphor for stuff that I went through or stuff that I did growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, oh, my God, I was bad with how video games just sort of absorbed me at a point. Um, I was just trying to think, what would be the, you know, my, the way my mind works, which I think is the way a lot of authors work. Um, I come from a family of authors and all that stuff. But I always try and think, what is the worst possible thing that could happen right now? <laughs> that's, the, that's the way it works. And then I'm like, oh, wait. Some, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's, oh, that's just bad. But sometimes it's like, oh, wait, that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I, I like to piggyback off of what you just said a moment ago. Because yeah. you said that like, a lot of these characters embody like, your own personal experiences yeah. Add cons. Was it mostly your experiences, or did you have like stories from like your writers or other people you talked to? Like, like, or like, where did all this inspiration for the characters and kind of scenarios kind of come from? I think it's definitely part of it's very psychological. Part of it's me wrestling with my own demons. Part of it's wrestling with some of my friends' demons. Um, where we're currently, it's you know the way I like to think about it, it's more expressionistic than it is autobiographical. Um, okay. all of the stuff, I like to think that all the stuff in the show happened, but it didn't literally happen. If that right. kind of makes sense. Like for example, yeah. my game of choice wasn't sky fighter. It was WarioWare. 
Um, <laughs> I and like I remember it. getting taken out really, really early in a WarioWare tournament at a at Kineticon a long time ago. Um, so it's things like that. It's things where I'm never like, oh, but, but I'm like, you take a bit of this and a bit of that and you sort of try and see how you can make it fit the story. Um, so yeah, I never been, it was weird. I've never been in a car crash. Um, but most, but I, this was sort of like the third thing. I wrote two other plays in this and all of them involved car crashes um, <laughs> as sort of the inciting incident. Um, which I think I borrowed because I really like the book Marathon Man and Marathon Man started with a car crash in a very ingenious mm. way. Okay, well, I hope your lack of car crashes continues to be a thing, if I got to be I real I think with. so. It's weird, man. <laughs> like, I, used, I have a lot of anxiety dreams and I always kept having dreams of that time when I was trying to drive a car and all of a sudden my brakes stopped working and I was going downhill and I kept trying to brake and then I like keep remembering wait none of that actually happened that's just been a dream i've had so much <laughs> i keep thinking that was a real thing um, I, I can relate to that honestly yeah. to talk about um when you talk about the characters being sort of metaphorical and you know kind of being demons that you've wrestled with or your friends wrestled with one of the things i find interesting is this you kind of do sell this as a cringe series and cringe is like a big I, thing now i but, don't know how we've been trying to sell it people have been like uh, yeah i saw your social media where you were like we don't know what you're doing and i'm like well i i'm the borderline social media i don't know what i'm doing nobody <laughs> knows um, what they're doing <laughs> it's like how do you get twitter followers if i just hashtag every word will the kids like me <laughs> but uh like i i'm not a big cringe watcher but a fellow borderline member andrew there yeah. was one point where i was home for the summer from school and literally every day he would send me these stupid cringe video compilations us and us, us yes you and guys it's like when you watch those videos you only get like a, a little brief window into that person's life you only see the embarrassing moment but with the characters in this series you really take like an eye and a chance to humanize them and you kind of yeah. see that as bad as the things they may do be that was english <laughs> as bad as the things they do may be uh there's still these weird sorts of like you 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 empathize with them you might not yeah. sympathize like, like but relatable tendencies that they have like i i really found it hard to watch the rita episode as yeah. someone who does struggle with mental illness you know when i first started watching the series i was like she's kind of my least favorite characters her and randy get rid of them yeah. <laughs> but then when you get to her episode and you have that scene with her and her dad talking very seriously yeah. about her her problem and then you see her room which is kind of the paint is kind of faded and the chipped furniture and then all the <laughs> and all the anime pictures she's surrounded herself with it's like she's using this fantasy world to cope with these problems she doesn't want to face and that really kind of humanized her. it's like she's selfish and she's kind of you know absorbed in her own world but that's but how you, she learned to cope yeah and you sort of realize wait she actually can't help it um and that's something i've always thought was like, I think that it's one thing to go, you know, point and laugh and go, ha ha, weebs are stupid, anime culture is dumb. I mean, like, that is something you can do. The real hardcore thing to do, in my opinion, is to go away. I'm like, but why is it so messed up? Why does it attract it? Let's dig deeper, man. Let's and like, pretty, yeah. pretty much all of these characters, you do get, like, a chance to... You know, we haven't really seen all of Spencer yet, but all the other characters, we've gotten a chance to sit down and see kind of where 
their trauma lies. I mean, even the episodes that aren't directly about them, the little moments they share, like you notice Toki kind of yeah. flinches a lot and you kind of get that maybe she has some trauma in her past. You you see that Mary or Mari, even before the car accident, you know, she's really into this, like, we're going to be friends, this is going to be friendship. This is all about friendship. And she's the oldest one there. So you kind of, yeah, by like, it's like, and she's this woman with like the pigtails and the ribbons and the really over the top eyeshadow. And you just feel like this is someone who's in arrested development is desperately wanting this to be a family. Like they don't have anybody else. Mm -hmm. The only yeah. character I really just can't care about is Randy. <laughs> who I'm convinced is he, please tell me. He's I got the striped polo and the Crayola necklace and everything. I feel like, you know, like I said with everything, it's all meant to be expressionistic. It's a little bit of everything, um, mm -hmm. just for to put in a blender. You know, I think I think we definitely, like, took notes of that <laughs> there. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, you know, as, you know, as a person, like, you know, you're, you're very much on the technical side, making sure everything is, like, you know, logistically ready and the shots look good and then all yeah. of that stuff is taken care of. But, you know, as you, you know, work with the actors and it's like, know, edit. It's very What's weird that? how you keep saying you, 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 because all I keep thinking of is like, in a weird way, I had so little to do with how the project came out. We had such a great crew that really put in every effort um, into it. Like it's, you work on it and you realize, oh wait, this is a project that's so much bigger than your vision. Um, once you get on board and once you get all the pieces rolling. Film is gotcha. such an insane medium like that. <laughs> so, yeah, m maybe in that context, consider me saying, like, the royal we or, like, everyone. Uh, wait, no, that's not the royal we. But anyway, yeah, everyone, like, the whole crew. And the hive everything. mind. The hive mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, in that context, it's, very, it's a very technical thing. you got to yeah. make all these steps happen. But whenever you sit down and you work with it, like, how does it, do, do you find it affecting you as a, as a person? Um, like, whenever you, like, after the fact, or, like, realizing, like, oh, this is what I have done, and now I feel this way about it. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? It's so, it is a lot like raising a kid. Um, and I spent a lot of hours with this thing. I sometimes look back, I said, all I see are the flaws now. Um, mm. All I see are the moments that I could have done better. Um, well, you know, they say art is never finished, only abandoned. So, <laughs> But I also realized, like, what we were trying to do was completely insane. Um, <laughs> we were, because we never, we've never shot, we, I consider this a feature-length project. And when you shoot a feature-length project, it's a whole different battlefield than trying to make it short. Mm -hmm. um, and with this, like, you know, I was like, we could do it. The Guild did it. And I realized, oh, wait, the Guild was five seasons in by that point. And they oh, had no. the ability to pull off a convention. And we didn't. Um, <laughs> we, like, I was, like, so And I didn't realize, like, until we were a few days into where I'm like, I definitely need to make some compromises. And I definitely need to scale some things back. Um, and, you know, you, you realize, oh, wait, this should have been, like, a small feature. Maybe, but it also had to be this web series because I knew that, like, you know, the thing that we keep coming across is the people who understand it really understand it. The people who don't understand it have absolutely no idea what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we've and I think that you know, making yeah. that choice to make it a, a sh like a series of shorts makes it you know more consumable, especially because we live in a very saturated media environment. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's very easy to just sit down and watch, 
you know, one of these 10 to 12 minute episodes. I appreciate the fact they think it's easy to watch this. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) well, in some ways, yes. Comparing comparing to actually making this thing is much easier to watch it. Because, like, man, I can't imagine, like, I have questions for you about that later. But I kind of want to pick it back off of what we were talking about just a moment ago. You had mentioned how, like, you came up with, like, you realized you couldn't really just, like, go to a convention and kind of film there. So I, I, it did not work. Yeah. So like just kind of going off of that, like we can stick with the poignant ones because I'm sure there's a lot of these that happen. But like yeah. what were some kind of unexpected things that happened once you started kind of working on this project, whether it's good or bad? And you can stick with like the more like I think the, bigger the first ones thing that we realized was that we really had to cut back on the number. I initially envisioned like the night like uh, Rita and Michelle's thing happening totally differently. But then mm-hmm. I realized, oh, wait, we can't, we, the way we scheduled this, we can't do night shoots. Um, we can't make that happen with our actor schedules. So that had to be earlier in the day. Um, initially in the script, um, Randy's flashback was going to be live action. And oh. yeah, so originally we were going to get a child, and I re- but then we, you know, we're talking, I'm like, wait, we need to cast two more kids. We would need to get that location. Shoot, that's not going to work. What if we just animated it? Um, <laughs> originally, like Rita and Michelle weren't going to make out in a window, but we found that location while we were shooting one day. I was like, wait, what if we shot Rita and Michelle's moment there? And we we're like, oh, wait, that'd actually be pretty cool to frame up with. Um, I think the most, I think the best line in the series was also completely improvised. Um, that seems to be how it goes, honestly. It's it's sad, man, because you have you put in so much calculated effort to make things seem natural, and then just a mix up happens, and that mix up turns out to be really goddamn per- perfect. That was the line, which was um Dan, the Bachelor number three, when he's just in the in the credits, and he just says, "Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Just like if art was just better, I wouldn't fucking kill myself." <laughs> Oh god! <laughs> I'm like that's dude, that's the perfect line. I'm like shoot, because I feel that way all all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah, and, you know that whole sequence we were just like yeah, let's just do a take where we just let him roll and improvise for a bit. And I'm like we should, that should be our credits thing. That's really freaking great. Um, we actually <laughs> just did something where we had this moment. It's a slight spoiler for part six. We're like we did a huge heavy amount of improvisation and then realized none of it worked. Um, and we were all cracking up on set and we all thought it was great, but then we are, I'm in the editing room with it and I'm like, it's, it's just not working. We got to trim it. When in doubt, trim back is always Mm. the big logic. Um, we had to cut some gags, uh, like I wanted to, we cut some huge gags from part one in order to make it less funny. Um, Mm -hmm. like originally when she's swinging Toki around and yelling Toki Chan, Toki Chan, Toki Chan the car actually starts rolling back because it turns out that she forgot to put the parking brake on. (laughs) Slamming on the window and she's chasing after the car. And that footage came out great. But we were like, you know what? It's it's too much. It's too much for this. And we need to get to that car at night faster. And we need to to pull back on that. Mm. Um, Which also, I realized the question I meant to ask a while ago. How the hell did you guys find out about us? 
Well, Sully. Oh, oh. <laughs> hi, Sully. So the blame comes to me. Yes, um, yes, it does. So it was in the most random way. Uh, I have this terrible hobby of when I feel bad about myself, I go onto CGL, which is a 4chan's cosplay. Board. Oh yeah, you found and, us on 4chan. And uh, <laughs> that is where my dark backstory begins. Uh, <laughs> But like I forget what it was, some like one of those like bad cosplay threads, which I it's like one of my I know this is wrong to go on to, but I do it anyway because that kind of goes against my weird moral thing with this. And yeah. so I was like, oh, this series, you know, someone made this, and it was I think just the first three episodes yeah. were out at the time, and I watched it. And at first, like I said, I thought, oh, this is gonna be something like Andrew sends me. It's gonna be like really bad comedy. Oh, look, cringe, haha, filthy prank. And that's not that's <laughs> that's totally like the opposite of my sense of humor, which is like yeah. more of like the really dark, uncomfortable. And I watched it, and I was like, okay, the first episode is pretty funny, and the car accident happened. And I was like, okay, I have to keep watching. And I think, like Austin said, the hospital game scene <laughs> was what kind of won me over. And then I was like, awesome. Austin shares my love of film, yeah. and Andrew shares this interest in weird John Waters esque things. Oh well, but you guys are a freaking audience. Holy God! <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like you say, like you, you know, try, Neil. I said this is like John Waters became a weeaboo, <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew. I don't think it clicked with him as much, but. When Austin watched, I was like, we have to have these guys on because they are totally like what we're talking about being, you know, a group of friends who have gone through these situations sometime together and sometimes separately. So this is this is interesting because this is the first I've heard of the whole backstory because my experience, I was with uh, Austin and Tori. Mm -hmm. yep. And then yep. in the spur of the moment, we're like, we're going to watch this now. And so we've just been watched the entire thing up till uh, except the, for episode four, four which we just for, completely forgot about at the time. I don't know why. Probably because it was like off YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. we were watching it on your PS4, and we couldn't yeah, get we access did. to mm -hmm. that's what happened. Okay, but yeah. So for me, it was just kind of like dropped on me, and like you know, I gotta be honest. Like as you said earlier, you're like it's easy to watch, and the answer's no, especially if you're not used to this kind of material. Like I, I yeah. meant, I meant easy in the sense like no, I can sit down and dedicate ten minutes. If, to if this. this was an but, hour long, you guys would not have sat through it. Um, I exactly. That's, I don't think you understand how much yeah. we over here, but you know, <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. But yeah. no, so I yeah, it's it's a little hard to watch at first, especially if you're not used to that kind of like kind of cringier kind yeah. of like not quite as like prim and proper like most projects kind of present themselves as. And when it's something that that we all have seen or been a part of, or at least know it, people who kind of yeah. fit that kind of archetype, right? Like like you said a moment ago, like we are in a way sort of the target audience for this, I suppose, yeah. and just. Seeing that it it brought up you know lots of feelings or just this sort of bizarre nostalgia for things that we experienced. Bizarre nostalgia. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like even these really like that scene with uh with Toki in the hotel room with the really creepy guy. Yeah. Uh, that was like it brought me flashbacks to when I was kind of in a similar like bad touch situation but it was weirdly nostalgic because i was like god i was a weird 16 year old kid who did a my lot of concerns things. my concerns were so much less at that time even though this horrible thing was happening yeah <laughs> it's like it's like i have to pay rent and worry about a job and you know yeah. adult things but when i was a kid you know i just had to worry about people in weird hotel rooms bachelor number three <laughs> <laughs> don't go with bachelor number three kids 
And like for me, like I never really kind of had went through something like that, but I've heard of plenty of con stories and horror stories where people have yeah. gone through similar experiences like that. So even though it's never happened to me, I have at least am aware that that kind of stuff goes down. So, you know, it is very relatable for people who's gone, who's been at cons long enough. You kind of like, you'll, you might not have ever experienced, like I, the thing that I find interesting about cons is again, because you're surrounded by so many different people, um, eventually you're going to run into one person who's like that. You're going to run into someone who, you know, either I'm, I'm only going to say isn't well but i'm going to say the phrase like i'm going to use the phrase isn't well or somebody who's who who like leaves that impression on you yeah right? somebody yeah. disturbed who also likes the same thing that you do mm-hmm. they like it in a different way that you do they are not as healthy of a person as you are but you meet them and you definitely have that moment of interaction um mm-hmm. and those are the people that leave an impact on you Mm-hmm. in some sort of way and it's weird because conventions sort of facilitate this environment where some of the social norms of the outside world tend to break down and a lot of these yep. sort of underlying things just sort of blossom into this bizarre adventure if you will exactly <laughs> this is my theory i've been trying to unload onto literally every person who will listen to it yeah. In human history, there has been the idea of the carnival, the idea that there are certain festivals or events where we purposely say the rules that we go by every day are suspended. Men dresses women, the rich dresses the poor, we are drunk and we're crazy and we're reveling. Yeah. I see the anime con as like a weird modern version of that. Because it's like, we have... pardon my French, it's almost like the super aspy version of that. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a friend who she brought a friend over from Japan to come to an American convention. And I think the moment when a man in a three piece suit and a rubber <laughs> tapped, her, <laughs> tapped her on the shoulder and simply waved at her, and she was just so confused. And we had this <laughs> oh, it's an internet joke. You yeah. see, here in America, anime cons aren't really about anime, it's not about anime at all. come from the internet and do weird things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's so true. Um, <laughs> I did want to sidebar very quickly to say that, like, when we found out that, because one of my big fears with all of this was, like, I always keep, because again, I had to make compromises to how I originally saw the series coming out. Um, because I always was just thinking, like, oh my god, everyone's going to see this. They're just going to think that this is totally fake and lame and awful. And, like, no no one's going to buy that this is, that this is, no one's going to, no one's going to, like, this is going to be weak. And then I, like, check out i'm like oh wait we're on 4chan and i look at 4chan and it's pretty much unanimous people saying wow wait they did this this feels pretty freaking real right here and i'm like oh thank god because those were the only people who i cared about if they thought it was real <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All that i'm like you guys are the judge juries and executioners if we made 4chan cringe we did we did something right <laughs> Yeah, you guys aren't making this for Sci-Fi Channel doing Heroes of Cosplay. You're no, doing it for no, the actual fans. We're doing it for you. We're doing it. We're doing it to be real, yo. We're doing it for the real people. Um, but yeah, I do think it's interesting. Just dial, dial, redialing back um, the fact that you said that's like everybody's uninhibited at cons, but it's also like a mixture of super, like crazy uninhibited people. And very, very mildly uninhibited people. Like, mm-hmm. people who they're uninhibited is totally hibited, um, if that's totally. a word. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, 
like you know it's hard you know but i think one of the other growing morals of the show is like it's still life you know con life is still life it's still you experiencing it it's still the few seconds that we have on this planet yeah um, yeah why can't that also get a lens under it why can't that also get examined yeah um, yeah 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 that's pretty much that because there's mm-hmm. this weird thing with nerd culture i think it's because nerd culture spawned as primarily consumerist culture where we tend to we tend to glaze over the humanity of it which mm-hmm. is why we have all of those super big blockbuster superhero movies but the whole idea is supposed to be oh wait this thing is great hunky dory buy stuff from it um, <laughs> and the weird thing is like wait there's actually a magic when you're able to form connections with people over the things that you enjoy as opposed to the stuff that you've been through or the stuff mm-hmm. that's that it's 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 a amazing bonding tool but it's also horrible at the same time <laughs> right i mean it's kind of like 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 just living normal life in that way yeah um, um, but I mean, you know, cons can be, you know, wonderful things and they can be disastrous things. Like I know, yeah. you know many of my, you know, strongest personal relationships have been through the bonds that I made through the things that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it kind of becomes yeah. a mix of both the things you enjoy. And then I think the real relationships are when you click and you say, oh, we're kind of the same person. It's not just, oh, we yeah. both like this thing. Yeah. It's, Oh, the thing that perhaps brought us to the mm-hmm. thing we enjoy—the the, the past—is something we share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why I a lot of us feel like your uh, series has been so successful, at least in our opinions, because you kind of—it's not just like watching a train wreck of like a con happen, which would be like the obvious thing to go to for a dark comedy, but yeah. you kind of like it really explore that human element and really kind of like get a lot of development with these characters. And I feel like that's really important to any story that's being told, whether it's a yeah. superhero movie or, or something like this. So I think just adding that human element and just really exploring each of these characters and like, like you, I, I think it's a really interesting choice. You kind of gave each character their own episode, more or less. Yeah. Just really explore each and every one of them. And I feel like that's a very unique choice. I don't see a whole lot of that in a lot of shows or web series of this kind of thing. So it's definitely refreshing and definitely new and definitely gives us more into the lens of each and every character and just kind of focusing on their world and where they come from. That's when I was finally, I definitely stole two major things for that structure, but the moment I realized, wait, I could focus on each individual character rather than crisscrossing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the moment where I realized how I can make this work as a series. Um, and I think the, um, the two major influences, uh, there were three major influences on that. Um, the first one was Paranoia Agent, because Paranoia Agent takes place in isolated single episodes with individual characters who are all trying to escape reality. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is Skins, because I oh. love, yeah, I think you can I definitely, see it, I see it, yeah. especially in four, you can, de- like, the thing I love about Skins, um, which I think we were trying to animate, uh, is like, it's a drama. It's a drama that's really, really funny. It's a drama that had great music and it's a drama that had these dynamic, believable characters who like weren't afraid about who like who had genuine feelings all the time. Like the drama from that show always came from like people trying to do good and trying to figure out their life as opposed to, oh, this person's uh well, I mean, aside from Tony, but even Tony, but it was never it's never like the scandal where it's like, oh, this person's so outrageous and this person's so outrageous. And because mm-hmm. they're so outrageous, they can't be contained. Um, it's, it's, know, it's, it's less of a like point and look and a more like, let's go along these, this journey with these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And um, High Maintenance was another big one, which is a great web series, which is about a weed get dealer in Brooklyn. And each episode is about a different person that he's seeing. And I like that because the thing that was weird with web series is that there hasn't really, the one thing that I want to do, which I really, really hope, I want this to be the first dramatic web series that people jive with and that people take a hold of. I want this to be like the first, I, I use this phrase because I love using it and I hate using it so much at the same time, that it's mm. a geek tragedy. Um, mm. That's the first, you know, series where I think the drive is primarily character driven and drama driven, but it's about nerd culture. It's not a point and laugh at us. It's more of a, let's sit down and kind of deal with this stuff for a minute. And I don't think that, that it has to be, the thing that I think about it is also to be like, I don't think that it has to be boring. I think that can still be incredibly funny. And I think that it can still never be deliberately morbid. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's something that can be done. And I think it's something that can be done as entertainment. Um, and one more thing I found interesting about your characters before we move on from this point is that, oh, like, they are very much imperfect characters. Like, for a lot of movies, they usually have, like, a strong character of some sort with some imperfections, but not, like, hugely flawed. Like, most of these characters have a lot of flaws. They're very much imperfect. Yeah. And there's no really, like, true straight man, at least from what I've seen so far. Like, everybody kind of has their own, like, deep imperfections, some that we yeah. don't even know about currently as the series is. So I find it really refreshing, kind of, that, like, we don't start with these perfect or mostly perfect characters. They're all, like, you know, different. they differ from the norm from the get-go. And we just kind of kind of get more twisted and more, like, deeper into their psyche as we go along. So that's a really cool choice, yeah. and I'm glad you did that. I think one of my favorite uh, writers is uh, Martin McDonough. And Martin McDonough does something brilliant where he realizes – the real way that you get people into trouble is you just have, in his stories, you just have dumb characters that keep making worse decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a different thing when people are always like, we need strong characters, we need strong characters. And I'm like, I don't think we need strong characters. We need dynamic characters. Mm -hmm. We need well-fleshed-out characters. I really think that strength as we perceive it, which is the sort of machismo-type get-their-way thing, um, is really unrealistic and in a weird way also not that interesting. Because mm. um, it's like, if you want, unless you're Dragon Ball Z, in which case it's the Whoa! greatest thing ever, and you want to see <laughs> just how strong can this guy get? Whoa, that guy's really strong! <laughs> <laughs> and you see, like, you can see that in the example of Dragon Ball Z. Like, I mean, that show has gone on forever and has never really gone anywhere. No. The ultimate paradox. Exactly. <laughs> Dragon Ball yeah, Z is an example of an editor keep, uh, who continues to say, I want more, and the author's like, but I have none to give. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, yeah, to me, that's what makes it interesting, is it's about the struggle. And, and struggle and conflict come from overcoming weakness. Um, yeah. So this is the, the absolute most imperative question that we all need to know. Oh, God. So this one. What in the world is the kanji on Spencer's shirt? Oh, this is my favorite. It says shirt in Japanese. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could not have hoped for a better answer. 
That was the best thing. You, John, only learned this. John, uh, my co-director and co-producer, and Jordan, our DP, they only learned this a month ago. Oh my so, gosh! Because like you know, I wanted Spencer to wear all blue, but I'm like, he's got to have something on his shirt. Having an anime character would be way too distracting all the time. What if he just said shirt? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember we were we spent like a decent amount of time trying to look that up to see what is on his shirt. Yeah, it's uh, hard to figure out. You have to know somebody who knows you. I didn't realize that'd be as good an Easter egg as it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, Tori, uh, Tori has uh, studied Japanese for a couple years and just kept looking at it and thinking, I think I know what that says, but I just can't place it. And then tried to look it up for a while and then just couldn't find anything and and gave up after a minute. And then just hearing it was that simple, she's probably <laughs> she's probably gonna be like, oh man. <laughs> to kind of oh. go off that, like with the costume design, which fascinated me because the thing is all the, the sort of background cosplayers and even Rita, who's the uh, cosplayer, yeah. they aren't really going as a particular character. They're all kind of like generic versions of an anime. Yeah. They're like, you're you look very, at the- you're very scared to use copyrighted characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's you, understandable. And you look at it though; it's like I'm just wondering, like your costume, there, I, they must be really brilliant if they can distill all these sort of like tropes of various animation designers and make them into costumes, and then have them once again reinterpreted as teenagers recreating these designs. Like the guy that uh, uh, Toki Chan spends so much time with, the creepy yeah. guy Ooh. who has a name, and I don't care about yeah. it. <laughs> It's kind of like a weird combination of Ryuk from Death Note and the guy from Hozuki. And then just like, he seems like we have a bunch of mashup of all these like terrible things mixed with the Heath Ledger Joker. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I, I, that design, like, I love it because I just love this lens of, you know, whenever we see cosplay on like the media, like heroes of cosplay, we have, you know, Yaya Han presenting these things and they're all flawless models. Perfect no, like, no, I rarely no. see that at a con. <laughs> I love the angel with the curtain rod. <laughs> so the angel with the curtain rod is our costume designer. Um, oh, wow. Really? I gotta say, like, I'm not a costume designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I can appreciate how much time and effort and how big you decided to go with some of these costumes. Like, the guy who had the angel wings in the elevator, I thought that was hilarious that you had something yeah. like that. And, and the credit scene afterward, I thought it was, it was beautiful. And it's just something so simple, yet so big. And I can definitely appreciate the time that you guys put into just making these characters look like them so unique. Definitely. The angel cosplayer, it's weird because like, I wouldn't have made this thing if I didn't care about these moments this much to try and film them. Um, but the angel cosplayer, I definitely, like there are one or two moments in the series where like directly in my life I was looking at it and I'm like, I have to remember this. And was when I saw somebody with this giant pair of angel wings getting into an elevator in Anime Boston, because I just thought that is the funniest fucking thing. Because um, he was taking up the whole elevator. And I'm just like, that's that's beautiful. And it's also universally relatable because that happens at every con, big or small, across the entire world. Yeah. So it's a perfect image. So, and also again, writer brain thinking, how could this possibly get worse? Because originally. It's also really interesting to see how movies really do change from script to from first draft to later draft. Originally, mm-hmm. it was a car ride. Originally, it was a taxi cab ride. And it wasn't working. It wasn't making as much sense. And I was just thinking, um, how can we 
how can we how can we make the like where were they gonna have this event? Oh, they could have it in an elevator, and the angel guys jammed in the background. Perfect. <laughs> and then you have Randy framed as like a Christ figure with, the angel, like, <laughs> right. with both of the wings on either of its sides. You um, you channeled a lot of uh, Hideki Anno in, in many scenes that you that you decided to go with. Yeah, originally I'm bummed. We tried to pull off a full-on homage of the elevator moment, but it didn't quite work. But mm-hmm. you did, you can definitely pick up, again, Evangelion and Skins were two of the biggest influences on this, because, like, they both deal with teenagerdom. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They both deal with growing of age, and they're not afraid to, like, deal with the, like, Skins deals more with the sexual aspects, and Evangelion deals more with the mental illness aspects, but they both deal, both of those series still deal with those aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Kimochiwarui. Kimochiwarui. Um, <laughs> and the fact that we end each episode with the Suzuku. Um, love it. Love it. Yeah, man. There's a lot of little touches in this series. That when I, I rewatched it to write notes when we were doing this interview, and I love that Mari has the Yaoi shirt, and then if yeah. you look on her car, she has a little Rainbow Pride sticker, yeah. which is such a real thing. The Yaoi fangirls with their Rainbow Pride flag stickers. And mm-hmm. I love that... Uh, that Rita is taking Wexadol from Palmer Pharmacy. Yeah, you got and it's like, I was like, were they making fun of Mexadol? Like, that's for alcoholism. <laughs> that's not an anti- I'm not good at thinking of names for fake medication. <laughs> and um, you talk about the sexual aspect. I know that when they were watching episode four today, they came over to do this recording and they watched it and I was with it. And then when the tentacles come, yeah. for me, I was like, this is such a painful, you know, uncomfortable situation because you know to me it's like they're so warped by their fantasies that anime has even become their sexual outlet and they were just like yeah. you tentacles but, but like, oh, in a weird way. Okay, okay, okay we were not expecting that like it was that, just such a, such a surprise yeah i'm looking that for deep was... character moments we, we, and you we, guys are just like ooh slimy secret no we shirts. keep for, <laughs> we keep forgetting that you have a team of animators or at least a really good one and that you can do some good stuff so it that, keep, it what was that? That was live action. Whoa! Wait, what? So yeah, we're gonna we need some. Uh, some you're, yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to that one. All right. It's very very simple. Um, the way we did that shot was we. <laughs> we sorry that I'm laughing. That's the most sinister thing to laugh on. <laughs> so we literally put the tentacle on our actors while they were making out. I hid under their sleeve. And I pulled the tentacle back, and then we just reversed the footage. Oh, <laughs> wow! Well, that's how you would do it. Wow, that's because that that did not look like it was reversed. I or it didn't look like it to me. Did you? That I mean, was it, careful it editing. Um, the key, the careful part was just to edit any single moment that the illusion breaked. Yeah, yeah. Keep in touch all the parts that worked. Like again, you guys don't know how I had to do some satanic stuff with computers <laughs> for this because. I'm, I'm a, you know, it's weird because we were working with a low enough budget where I couldn't be a perfectionist. Right. Mm-hmm. I had enough time where I could try to make it as close to what I tried to do as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of weird CGI stuff that I did for the purpose of you never noticing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, the best editing is unnoticed. So. Yeah. so, so now that we know that, I have to ask, how long did it take to like actually film that scene? Um, that scene was filmed pretty quickly. Um, we rented out this lovely cheese steakery, um, Boo's Philly Cheesesteak. Um, 
Oh, wait. I actually have a great story. I, I can't tell that story. Um, <laughs> let me just say that our costume designer, Andrew Barracox, who is a club kid um, and amazing, and we love him very much. He's in New York and we miss him. Um, is I, I, cause like we kept trying to think we needed to find an actress. It needs to be an actress who can work a day and it needs to be someone who we can call in a favor and cover in dead fish. Um, <laughs> what if we ask Andrew if any of his club buddies might be willing to help us out? So he called in his partner in crime, Michelle. And it's again, so the guy who's, who's covered, the guy in the technical team is the angel cosplayer. Same guy. Wow. Um, and if you look closely, they have the same hair, hair color. But yeah, no, we just covered them in, in seafood and then had him had him go at it. That that's incredible that he was was both like such an angelic and like not like such a, it's like two extremes for the same dude. That's two extremes. He, that's his range, baby. That's <laughs> Actors, man, so surprising. From angelic grace to unspeakable depravity. That's that's a very dynamic range. Speaking of that, originally. I, I wrote the tentacles in the first draft of the script and then I wrote them out because I'm like, um, and I'm like, because I originally wrote I'm like, oh, that's that's too much. That'd be too ridiculous. We can't film that. They should just mess and Toki will um, laugh at that. Um, and Sarah Livent, who is freaking incredible, one of the most amazing people on the planet, um, who's the actress who played Toki. When I was talking about her, I'm like, do you think that they're, you know, I had a meeting with each of the actors where I talked to them in depth about what each character is, what should be changed, what can we do with the script. And one of the big things is like, she has a thing, and she says, that scene needs to be weirder. I'm like, it, it needs to be weirder. She goes, yeah, Toki would want it to be weirder. And I go, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> wow. That's... Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, no. Which to me, I'm like, I think this is going to be like a weird controversial thing that I'm going to say. I kind of don't think there's anything wrong with that fantasy sequence. I think it's definitely like, our idea of gross and weird but i'm also like you know as far as kinks go that's actually kind of a fine outlet if that's what calms you down and that's what like you know bring jab it if that kind of makes sense it's a weird thing to say I, yeah there's definitely is worse stuff out there but you actually talked upon a point that i really wanted to i'm very curious about and it's the actors like i'm curious like how like it seems like toki took it really really well and actually like just kind of ran with it yeah. So I have to ask, like, how do the actors take uh, the character descriptions initially? And, I, and like, how do they handle some of the, um, we'll say, more awkward scenes? Like, because there's, there's a lot of very uncomfortable scenes in this series. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I'm curious how they had to handle that. I mean, they all handled it like champs because they they're all great actors. Um, I, you know, it was, I think we, you know, there were some intense moments, especially working with Dan, who played Randy. Um, especially you haven't guys seen we we the most intense stuff happens um in six. There's some really intense stuff that happens there. Um and I think the key thing is like you need to build an environment of trust. And mm -hmm. you need to which is very which in a weird way I think like that's why casting is really more important than any other step of the filming process. Casting is more important than lighting, cinematography or anything, is that you need to have because those are the people that you're capturing. And you yeah. need to build that kind of trust and you need to make sure that because it's interesting when you're cutting and when you're exploring, like there's so much raw footage that's very emotionally raw stuff. And some of it's incredibly like awkward and embarrassing, but that's why they're giving it to you is that they're trusting you to make the best bits out of it. 
Um, and I think that's how we were able to handle all of those scenes is by respecting the actors, respecting the moment, respecting the script and saying, hey, we're all going all in on this. Like, the, like the, when we were shooting all the stuff for part five, that was some of the most um, intense emotional stuff that like that we handled. And it was also the last one of our, I think it might've been the last night moment that we shot was that scene with Rita and her dad. And we made sure to give that moment like a proper space and a proper closed set um, and everything. And, you know, by that point we worked on the scene a lot with Katie and we worked on the scene a lot with Dennis. And, you know, part of it is never to go like, go here, go here, go here. It's never about that. You only want to do that just to make sure for the sake of the camera. Um, but the important thing is to prepare emotionally, to be like, these are the things we're going to explore. These are the things we're going to undertake. We're going to do it as many times as we need. We're going to have ones where we try and let loose more. We're just going to keep going with it. Um, so, yeah. I think that, awesome. that's how we, yeah. I have a question about yeah. the actors. Uh, Go for it. All, all of us, you know, yourself included, we kind of have experience with, we have all met a, a Rita and a Toki and a Randy and a Spencer. Yeah these are kind of people that we can, we can kind of identify either with or those we know. But uh, from reading the actors' credits, a lot of them, unless they're all secret weeaboos and we don't know about it, don't seem to be as immersed in that. How do you kind of point and explain these sorts of characters that are immediately identifiable to the community, to someone who's, you know, like I was saying to them when we were, you know, getting ready, a goth is something that yeah. you don't have to be a goth to get. It's something we just know about through the culture. But a weeaboo is such a a, a niche. Thing. It is a niche. So um, how do you say you're going to do this character and this is the model for it? I will say that, like, I definitely, uh, Sarah Livant is a true wee. And, you know, the actress who played Toki and we definitely like have had numerous bad anime watching sessions together. <laughs> but I, that's a good question. Um, the hardest part was teaching them how to pronounce the phonetics, right? Mm. Um, or like, incorrectly rather. Incorrectly <laughs> rather. Super Rashi. Like, <laughs> super Rashi. I want to stab myself every time. <laughs> um, drink. Anyway. Um, like with uh, with Katie, whenever she would, because she's the one who always had to say magical just to save your Rita Chan, which if you're an anime, you would say Rita Chan. But if you were Katie, who's still not very anime experienced, you would say Rita Chan. And I'm like, it's mm. not Rita Chan, it's Rita Chan. Um, <laughs> and it was so hard to try and explain why that one dumb inflection mattered so much. Mm -hmm. But I think that the key is just to like keep them in unbridled enthusiasm and to remember what their different motive like you know each character aside from being a weeaboo has a different motivation and different tactic to try and get what they want what they want and as long as you hold true to that um then the weeaboo stuff comes naturally the weeaboo stuff comes from the dialogue really mm. if anything else um yeah okay okay um we did what? however also send them a ton of anime and reference clips to watch but i don't know if they watched most oh, so they actually were watching anime before they actually kind of got before they I, got to the actual set. I gave them some anime to watch. I never like I never grilled them as homework. I always provide them with material. I'm like, this is a material if you want to look over it. If not, don't worry. I also found a few YouTubers to send their way. I definitely 
scummed the depths of YouTube trying to find some anime and weeb vlogs to send them. And it was like, you know, there were some that were, it was, it was rough. Real quick, now the anime stuff you sent them, was that more of like a reference for the character you wanted them to play? Or is it more of like just to give them an idea of what the community was experiencing? Like, what what was the point of that? I mean, part of it, a little bit of both. Um, you know, I sent them materials from different movies and different things um, to give them a better idea. The, the one thing that's obvious is that Rita is definitely a live action play on Asuka um, mm. from Evangelion. And I hold no bars about that that I ripped off that character. Because I think... Um, her episode of Evangelion is still one of my favorite things of all time. Mm. Um, and I love that episode a lot. And I feel Definitely. Like in a weird way, she's a very real character. And I've met people who've had breakdowns like that before. Um, and in a weird way, seeing a fictional character like that work through that kind of breakdown helped me process what my friends were going through more, which yeah. is such a, you know immature thing to say being like oh this cartoon helped explain my friend's mental illness to me but it, it did um and it really I mean, there's a reason why evangelion is so resonant yeah and there's a reason why it's still like if you're watching there's still no other anime that came that comes close to being like it where it's like oh wait it's giant robots and body horror and coming of age and all this sort of weird stuff um happening at once the thing that i love about it i actually i wrote a I wrote a college paper about Evangelion, comparing it and contrasting it to this play um, blasted by Sarah Kane. And my professor had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so I gotta be. Um, so Luke, it's about robots? <laughs> <laughs> that professor went, had a long, stiff dream. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think real quick, like, yeah, I think you try to kind of encapsulate that kind of feeling into this series as well just kind of expl like explaining kind of like what kind of people go through so that you yeah. know it's, it's so what if it's like a somewhat cringy series about like cons it's to explain like kind of help people kind of get through or at least understand other people and their trials and tribulations especially for those like me who don't really have a whole lot of that going for them yeah i'm sorry to hear that man um that I don't okay. <laughs> Sorry about that when you said don't have a whole lot going for them. Well, no, I as far as like mental disease and whatnot, that's not something that really like affects a lot of my life. I don't have I'm fortunate enough not to deal no. with stuff like that. So it's kind of refreshing to kind of like get somebody to delve into that so I can kind of understand what other people go through. Because that's not something I, I I can experience on myself. And I'm not complaining, let me be clear. But <laughs> yeah. it, it's no, good to kind of get that fresh lens. It's so weird because I kept when I'm trying to explain this because I treat this as a serious film and this is a serious film project. It's a mm -hmm. funny, serious film project. It's an absurd, serious film project at a lot of points, but it's a serious film. Um, and like, like trying to explain to people where it's like I look at all this stuff on mental illness and like it's so either bombastic or so condescending or so cliched. And the one thing that I keep having to explain to people is like growing up where I experienced all this stuff was anime conventions. Mm -hmm. I like, I didn't have a choice. That's just where it happened. Um, and I think that is because as you said, it's a place where people can be uninhibited. Um, it's like, as long as you know, the social construct of fandom and how fandom works, you can connect with people at a convention. Um, and you know, the, sort of like the, the primary audience of conventions is, you know, those of yeah. like, um, the, the middle school, high school, early college age that are going through their coming of age time. Yeah. So it's like the perfect 
petri dish for all of these very complex feelings and emotions to sort of happen in with the with a Hatsune Miku costume on. <laughs> exactly. That's what it was. That's our show. That's our show right there. And talking, John, talking about, you know, not having a mental illness as someone who um, has grown up and still lives with a severe mental illness. Uh, mm-hmm. That episode with, with Rita was um, difficult to watch, but like, you know, they, they were using difficult cringy but like for me i think when a series or a movie captures me is when i am sort of challenged as a viewer to face something in myself with with the medium with the art and watching that conversation with her dad i had to kind of actually pause the video and just take like a little like breather because that was a moment that i had lived through and it's it's the con for many fans is their escape and yeah. I think ultimately with these characters is like you said they're trying to escape their problems but they can't because that is reality a con is one weekend and your problems will follow you or you come back home to them yeah um i'm actually really glad you said like we've gotten i've gotten some incredibly beautiful messages from people about that episode um mm-hmm. and you know it took it it's to me that's the reason why i made the show which we're also it looks like we're going to be able to pull off a season two which I'll kind of all right. We should wrap up a bit at the end, um, which I will mention as we wrap up. Cool, um, yeah. I should also probably hit the road in like fifteen minutes, but um, oh no, you're good. I've, I've got like one or two last questions, and then oh. you can be right on your and way. I have one last question. Okay. Oh, please ask us. Ask all the questions. Lord knows. Okay. Need so uh, one really quick one. Uh, what was the decision? I just to finish up the thought. Oh on. no, go ahead. Go ahead. Cool. No worries. Um, no, to me, like. Yeah, that was the reason why I wanted to make that show um, was to tell Rita's story and to show um, mental illness and bipolar disorder as I was experiencing it um, in my youth. And I didn't have it, but a lot of my friends did. And I think that like the crazy thing that bothered me is like I wanted to do a show about mental illness where a it's not, you know, even though it, the parent child thing is in that, that's not the focus of the story. The focus mm-hmm. of the story is on everything else. It's on what happens when these people are by themselves in this environment. Um, and the Rita thing, I was like, I never saw that moment between a father and a daughter in a, in a, in a show. Um, I don't see that moment often enough. I don't see the moment where mental illness is treated like the kind of cold, unforgiving monster that it is. And I wanted to have like a show where it's like they're not saying you know, they're not saying, oh, she's crazy. It's like, oh, wait, you realize she's sick. She's not well. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is clearly being fueled by something deeper than that. Um, and, you know, I was scared about releasing that episode more than anything else. But you kind of because, you know, it's a very tender moment. It's something that I had a hard time editing and getting through. Um uh, you know, the whole series, I was very, very hard to edit. But that part definitely was one of the trickiest parts. But to me, I had to be like, this is what I've been trying to say. Um, was this moment in this scene, in this episode. Cool. Gotcha. So, um, um, I'm, you know, I'm part of it. I'm glad. You know, I'm, I'm always interested because I feel like different people are going to have a different effect with it all. Some people are, I think that this 
that's definitely going to offend some people, but nobody seems to be offended yet, which is good. Because yeah. we definitely yeah. didn't make the show. We definitely made the show to challenge people, but not to offend. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so this is a this is a technical question, but um, what was your de- what what impacted your decision to make this show in four by three? Um, that was all Jordan, our cinematographer's decision. And originally, I was really against it, where I was like, but in my head, it's it's a normal web series and normal aspect ratio. But yeah, some of the things that she mentioned when I was showing her some stuff by Ozu and Kurosawa and all that stuff um, was like, oh, wait, that was all and Evangelion, too. That was all in oh, yeah. four three. Yeah. Um, all that stuff was in that aspect ratio. And I thought, you know what? This actually might be a cool thing that helps. Uh, set us apart from some different web series like this will give it more of a unique look i didn't realize um so there were some things that really really helped us because we didn't have to dress the sets as much Mm -hmm. Um, because like sometimes right out of frame you might not have realized something the other thing that helped is that it allowed us to sell the convention a lot more um because we didn't have as many extras as we as a major shoot would have had and Mm -hmm. doing so allowed the con to seem bigger by showing less of it Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a major thing that allowed us to that 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 why we shot in three four was kind of to pay homage to that. Cool. Um, and one final question for me. Um, so you've talked a lot about sort of the the positive feedback that you've gotten back on this project, but like, what is some of the most like poignant like negative criticism that you've gotten back from it, if you can think of any? Um. Like, if people complain about this show, like, what what do they bring up? I think that, for the most part, that people just say, oh, this is sad, or, oh, this is my cup of tea, which is fair, and which I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, it's definitely definitely not for everyone. Right. Um, We would like to think that's for a lot of people. Um, But I also understand that it's like, oh, wait, this is not going to be for that. Um, There was a lot of stuff with, like, somebody got... There hasn't been too much like negative, negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good then. <laughs> there hasn't been yet, yet from knock mm-hmm. on wood. Um, you know, I think there was the one criticism where Randy's part um, offended somebody because it was dealing with weight issues, um, mm-hmm. which is weird because I was only writing from my experiences. I used to be a very heavy kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I felt all the time was with that weird self-loathing that was going on. Um, I will say, like, in a weird way, the positive criticism we receive is when somebody is just like, I, I, this show is so painful to watch, but I can't stop watching it. Like, that's, that's kind <laughs> that was, of our that was, target. That was us. Yeah, that yeah. was us. So, yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Yeah. It's like eating and, uh, spicy food, but it's emotionally spicy food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. That's a good way of putting it. Too kawaii for comfort. Yeah, too kawaii. That's, what, that's the other thing I'm like, it's the perfect title for the show. Because it could either be a really, really cheesy comedy or a horribly fucked up drama. Like, you don't know. You know, that might not be a bad idea for the title for <laughs> Extremely <laughs> spicy. Yeah. What? Emotionally yeah. spicy. There you go. Like, like electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I have one last question, I think. Feel free. That, go for it. Um... You know, I don't want you to spoil too much, but you know, we're in this journey. We're going with these characters. You, you bring up Evangelion, and uh, the end of that series, if it ever will end, um, is is kind of this controversial. Is it ultimately a story of hope or despair? Is it about the 
futileness of humanity or is there is there is there a reason to keep going and i guess that's kind of the question i'm posing to you is when these characters journey is over whether that this story arc of season one or season two or however long you decide to carry this on is your message one that's there's a light at the end of the tunnel or is it going to be they're all broken and that's just the way it is 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 it despair one one sounds way too just sad and dreadful and the other sounds way too optimistic and cheesy as i think it's more of like he's just trying to go for like more realistic interpretation of what's going on it's not so much like it's hopeless and whatnot it's not like there's light at the end of the tunnel it's just like this is life this is how people actually are and kind of like what is this is the this is the deal the ending i will say is very epic it's not like ever total collapse of the world um which is why we i think we're gonna season two which it looks which we're slowly moving forward to and can hopefully start making soon is going to not be about um these characters um but about the implicate but about how this action and this car crash and these things kind of permeate throughout the con so we're oh wow meeting some new people some new kind of side stories um all sorts of other stuff like that and i think that's gonna be good because a will allow us to explore like a whole new set of material and like originally when i was thinking about that i'm like wait these are all this show that kind of comprises all the horrible events that happen at cons that we all have experienced but nobody's talked about Mm -hmm. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna get some more of that um but we do have a finale planned it is written um, it's going to take a lot to pull off, and we're still trying to figure out how we're going to do that. Um, but I think, like, the message of the show is, like, oh, my God, all of this stuff is so sad and gut-wrenching and weird and awkward, and all of that's okay. And it's okay to be sad, and it's okay to not fit in. And it's like all of that stuff that you're feeling, it's totally valid and it's okay. And I feel like if anything, that's like the message that we're trying to say is by the time you finish watching the episode and you've gotten through all of that, wait, you finished watching the episode and you got through all of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened on the planet. It sucks, but it's definitely not the worst thing. Having known people like these characters and, you know, being in the community for almost a decade now, it's kind of hard to believe that. <laughs> I will, I've I will kind of seen, I've I kind will. of seen their own stories progress and, you know, some of them, it's like things are rough, but they got better. And some of them are things kind of just kept getting bad. And it's, I kind of see that through what you're kind of saying there. Yeah. Um, but I will also say, listening to your show gave me a few ideas. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I can only imagine what was said. Do we have, like, time for, like, a quick comment? One more question? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we have plenty of time. Wrapping up, but yeah. So, so quick comment. So, I, I want to clarify. I, I said it's cringy a lot, and I think that's disingenuous to you. I think, really, the emotion that I kind of feel is uncomfortable. It's just yeah, uncomfortable in a general feeling. And I think that's good because yeah. the goal isn't to, like, as you said, not to, like, you know, shame or just kind of, like, say, oh, they're just broken or they're just, you know, they're just, they're yeah. just having met, they're just not crazy. You're just trying to take, like, a real look at it and just, like, these people are actually sick. And, like, that uncomfortable feeling kind of makes us 
have to look at it and process it and think about yeah. it. So like, I think the way you went about this film was like really, really good. And I, I, as uncomfortable as it made me feel, I think that's a good thing. So thank you so much. Um, one of the people that we met at anime expo said, this feels like a dark mirror into my soul. And I'm like, Oh hell yeah. that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing, just a sidebar for the thing is about the word cringy. Now, what I found interesting about this word um, is, A, I think that this is a word of the YouTube generation. Um, mm. And I think that, because I teach kids um, as my day job, is I do, I do kid teaching stuff. And I've noticed how that word has snuck into the vocabulary like all the time. And they just keep, oh my God, what I made was just so cringy. Oh, that's, that made me cringe. Oh my God, this is cringy. And we say cringy, we don't say embarrassed, which... I think that there's something actually worth psychologically exploring about because hmm. I think that it's weird how shame is something that we act like we don't care about, but deep down we care so much about and we care so much about not embarrassing ourselves. Um, we are ashamed of being full of shame. We are ashamed <laughs> of having shame. Um, and then, like that's the way thing is like I never I wanted to write it where I'm like oh wait this thing but I never wanted like I never was like writing this and being like lol omg cringy or right right like that um, but I think it's interesting how that word is what people normally drive the show which is it's cool it's what uh, the show's whatever it is to whatever who to whomever watches it. I got you. And I just want to kind of end on a more lighthearted note here. So just real quick, what was one of your scenes, what was like your favorite scene to kind of either shoot or edit? And what was the scene that was like really challenging and kind of hard to get through? Um, the real, the scene that, the moment that came out closest to what I originally had when I was writing the script was when Spencer walks in on Toki in the hotel room. Oh no, that was, that was hard to watch. Oh Yeah. Because um, originally, before Toki, in the really, really early state, the way I write is I come up with a bunch of moments and then gradually try and figure out how they all get connected. Mm -hmm. Before Toki, Toki was originally a slightly overweight girl wearing a Korra from the last Airbender costume. And like I couldn't think of anything interesting about this character for the long time. I just like I know there's going to be a slightly overweight girl named Toki. And Spencer's going to walk in on her masturbating and crying. And that was the sole basis for this character's existence for the longest time until, like, I, re until I realized who that character was. Um, that was a moment, you know, there's a lot of moments I'm very, very proud of. One thing that we pulled off, which I didn't think we were going to, um, was the one in that we used to open up part three. Um, where they're all unpacking their luggage and nobody's talking to each other. And everything like that was a moment that I feel like, oh wait, this nailed that weird tension that we were definitely trying to explore. Um, and everybody's still wearing their costumes. And then Randy just says, I'm going to go to the Sky Fighter tournament. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a perfect case study of less is more. <laughs> yeah, less is more. The one moment I would, thought I would for sure go to hell for also was um, Kyle. Um, the interrupting horseman. Who oh, God. Oh, <laughs> every masquerade in the year of our Lord, 2017. <laughs> Memes um, everywhere. <laughs> so, like, the great thing was, like, originally the bit was supposed... We had a friend that we casted to be the, the vaping brony in, in the uh, <laughs> hotel room. He was supposed to be in the masquerade. 
but we couldn't get that actor there on that day. So we just threw a horse mask on our PA and just said, start dancing around the stage. <laughs> and that became the bit. Um, he got nominated for an Emmy. His name is David <laughs> He's a lovely human being. That's incredible. <laughs> so those are some of my favorite moments. Oh, my personal, I will say my personal favorite moment. The moment that always felt the realest to me um, is in episode one in the car ride when Spencer is talking to Toki and Spencer just goes, I also love the low angle we get of them in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Spencer's talking to Toki and he just goes, oh yeah, it was just like that part in Crimson Wizard Party where the Archmage Celestia throws his... And I'm like thinking, I'm like, that's every time I try to explain one of my web comics to a, a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going on a five minute long explanation for a joke that wasn't even funny in the first place. Oh gosh. So relatable. So relatable. <laughs> so relatable. Oh man, it's like trying to explain anything that happens to in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure to anyone that has never seen it. Yeah, man, that must be an effort. <laughs> Honestly, when you did it, I was like, "So David Bowie's in it." <laughs> you have my attention, but there are vampires, and they pose as a pa- okay. Yeah, you, you nailed it, Sol. You got it. I will also say, like, we we're, we're going to try and end one of the episodes with the to be continued meme, but we just like backed out at the last minute. We were like, oh, do that. Uh, something for season two, maybe. <laughs> maybe, actually. Oh, but that meme's going to be yeah. so stale by then. I don't know. JoJo never dies. We'll see. <laughs> he lives on. He does through the generations. But anyway, Luke, thank you so, so much for coming on this podcast and giving us a awesome discussion about your web series. And if there is anything at all that uh, Borderline Podcast can do to help you out with uh, production or just making your next episodes possible we will do our best to uh, help you out in any way that we can hey man it was it was wonderful talking to you guys and shooting the stuff and you guys are in north carolina right yep mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. well if we any of us ever stop by north carolina we'll be sure to try and say hi um, cool awesome we got i will also say we are going to take like a little bit of a break from when six comes out Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a break from working on Kawaii. We're going to try and make some shorts because as much as we love Kawaii, we know that it is very hard to explain to people. So we figure like, wait, maybe we should just do some shorter, more sketchier type stuff intermittent to see if we can build up and try and get people to notice this and be like, oh, wait, but this show is really, really good, too. Um, so you can expect some cooler stuff coming from our channel very, very soon. Yeah, cool. it sounds awesome. awesome. And um, if you guys ever make it over to any of like the, not necessarily the North Carolina cons, but any of the big East Coast cons, especially the ones in the Southeast, like AWA or Otakon or anything, we'll yeah. try our best to come there and say hi in person. I'm definitely, now that the show is finally out, I'm going to start making arrangements to try and hit up some cons soon. And once I do, I'll be sure to give a friendly hello to the people and friends at Borderline Panel. Woo! Well, anyways, man, um, we'd love to have you on the podcast again at some point whenever you've got some more updates for us. Uh, maybe yeah, sometime man. towards uh, after this is wrapped up or during the next season or really anytime you just want to come on and we'll we'll spitball it. And um, again, we just really appreciate you coming on. It was my and, pleasure, um, you guys. And uh, just to give our listeners, like, where, where can they find you? Where are you? You can check out our YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to, um, called Rhino Stew. If you just look up Rhino Stew or Two Kawaii for Comfort on YouTube, it's there. 
Um, we also have a Facebook page for Two Kauai for Comfort and a website, twokauaiforcomfort.com. Um, and a Woo. Twitter page, also Two Kauai for Comfort. <laughs> it goes on and on and on, all these social media accounts. It's horrible, and I am not good at any of them. <laughs> <laughs> understandable, understandable. Well, anyways, right. thanks again. And uh, this is Borderline Panel signing off. Everybody say bye. 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 Sayonara.